Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. At C3, we exist to help people pattern their lives after Jesus. This message was first given as part of our teaching series at C3. Today we are going to continue our um, sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. So we are in Mark chapter 10 uh, today. So please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 1, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Verse 1, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as it was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were alone in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered them. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Today's sermon is called Covenant or Contract. Uh, last week, we finish up uh, chapter 9 of Mark, and it was this really difficult passage where we talked about uh, metaphoric hyperboles in which Jesus uh, talks about if uh, ridding sin of your life and cutting off uh, your hand or your foot. And it was a really kind of complicated passage, but I hope, my hope is that uh, it didn't stump you last week. Sorry for the joke. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, this week, we are talking about divorce. Um, so Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> it's just we're following Mark, and this is how it goes. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever really heard a sermon on divorce, okay? I uh, looked through very many commentaries. You, do not, you know how many commentaries literally can be on divorce and how they skip over or like, like they don't want to have a position on it. They're like, this is, you know, we're not going to talk about it. But we're going to talk about it today. And I want to come to you uh, very graciously uh, with mercy and, um, and, and just saying that, you know, we want to talk about this. And, and I know that divorce can be so difficult to talk about for so many people uh, because it touches all of our lives in some way. Like we all know somebody where it has either touched our life directly or somebody that we know uh, directly. Okay, so um, come for this in gracious uh, humility as we look at what Jesus teaches about here today. Um, tomorrow, Esther and I will have been married for 13 years. That's exactly right. Every, Esther deserves that round of applause. Thank you for putting up with me for 13 
years. And uh, there we are uh, in Sheffield, England, having a very English uh, wedding. Esther dressed in her uh, sari, her, her, um, her, was it your mother's? Your mother's dress. Your mother's yeah, your mom's sorry, yeah. And then I had, you can't see, but I had these cool like British coattails, no top hat. So I did not exactly look like the Monopoly man, but close. Okay, it was very, very cool. Um, and uh, oh, there's dad in the background. He's a little pixelated, but he's there. He's there. There he is. Uh, it, was, uh, it was an awesome day. It was so exciting. And I was also so naive uh, going into our marriage. I was so very excited, but I mean, how do you know about marriage until you really get into it? But we have survived 13 years um, tomorrow. We have lived in, I counted seven different houses, three countries, two kids, and a partridge in a pear tree. So uh, one thing that really attracted me to Esther so much is how different she was uh, from me. Um, she uh, comes from a uh, kind of a blended family. Her mom is Sri Lankan. Her dad is English. Um, so you got really good English food, but then you also got like the, the Sri Lankan curries when you went over to their house. It was so good. And then um, it, everything was just so different. She was so pretty. I was still trying to understand half of the things that she was saying with her cool British, Esta Hunter, Esta Hunter. Um, but everything was, we just did everything together when we first started dating. We were like in this euphoric, just state of love. Like we'd get up, we'd go to the gym together, except for I think at one time I accidentally ditched you. Sorry about that. Uh, we'd go to morning prayers together, like almost every day at the church. Uh, we went to a small group together. We, we worshiped together. We went on dates together. Like we were inseparable. And um, I can remember, like, we, we, uh, I, I set myself up big at the, at the front of that marriage and almost too big because when we got engaged, we went to Paris, France, and, I, and I, I proposed to her in French. If you don't, Esther is a French teacher. So I, 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 I proposed to you in French, and that set the bar so high that I have not been romantic, nearly romantic as that moment probably ever again in my life. So I, you just don't want to go big too early in the relationship. But I remember we landed and we went straight into our, our we were engaged. Uh, we we're in love. We're still in love, by the way. And we had to do this six week like course for what's called marriage prep. And we were so, I was so excited. I almost threw up. Like I was just, I was in, but we had these like incredible conversations, but also difficult conversations. We talked about money. We talked about sex expectations. Um, I thought it was just like, that's what you do when you get married. Apparently there are sex expectations. There's conflict resolution, uh, forgiving our broken past, learning love languages, uh, personality profiles, um, and so much more. And even though we were so well prepared on our, uh, I felt like going in and saying our vows on our wedding day, when you get into the marriage, you realize there's no amount of preparation for the actual marriage. Marriage is both amazing, but it is also hard work. Two lives, two separate lives. The biblical uh, way is, is that these two lives becoming one flesh, one new entity uh, in a covenant relationship under God is, is the biblical understanding of a marriage. And two people who are both incredibly, um, I don't want to say stubborn. Can I say stubborn? Is that okay? 
Strong-willed is a much nicer way to say that. And I can remember having these co- some conversations that were a little heated at the beginning of our marriage. I remember one time Esther um, nearly packed her bags and like left for a hotel that night. And I, we, you know, things were things are not easy when two lives are trying to come together as one. And I can remember like a year or so into our marriage. I remember going down to London for this Christian conference. Uh, it, was, it was an alpha conference, and uh, Nikki Gumbel spoke, and then Rick Warren, uh, Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church got on the stage, and I can remember him saying these words, which I will never forget. He said, opposites attract, opposites attract, and then opposites attack. And at that moment, I both laughed out loud and I cried just a little bit inside. Like, I thought it was such a true statement that often that we find ourselves married to or we're dating somebody that, that is our opposite. And what's really good about that is that they have uh, different gifts and skills. They have other interests. And it makes us whole. It makes us a better unit together. The hard part of that is that you have to come in into it with grace and humility, working together, working really, really hard. And it's not always a very natural thing. Jesus teaches about forgiveness uh, in Matthew. In, I think it's just after Matthew chapter 19. And he teaches that, that we're to forgive people 77 times 7. Uh, that's biblical code for unlimited amount. Our marriages are the opportunity to put that into practice. It is an opportunity to forgive over and over and over and over again. Also, I will note that if you go to your wife and you say you're sorry, she will ask you, what are you sorry for? Because I just, to be honest, I don't want to have an argument. And so she'll say, what are you sorry for? Like, she'll actually want to resolve it. I just kind of want to, like, move on from it. So you can't just give the cheap answer of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And there's two things I really want to do to talk about the background of this text before we actually uh, break it down. There are two things going on here. The first one in is, is that there was a long discussion about divorce going on in Jesus' world. Um, there had been, um, uh, by the way, this is a, su- a surprising um, uh, thing that I found out when I was researching this passage, is that divorce was as common in Jesus' day as it is today. Think about that. Think about how common divorce is today. It was just as common in Jesus' day. And this, there was some kind of, um, there was some kind of uh, discussion about this. And, and uh, there were kind of two schools of thought about this. And uh, one was a more conservative approach. Uh, it came from a, the Jewish uh, school called the Shammai. And it basically said that the only way that you could get divorced was if somebody... Uh, had an affair. So if there was adultery going on in the marriage, you could dismiss uh, that person. Um, But uh, there was another school of thought in Jewish uh, times, and that school of thought, uh, that school was called Hillel, and that school said that um, they thought for any other reason you could get divorced. 
Um, so that was a much more common view. That's what, when Jesus is teaching the crowds, that's what the crowds wanted. Um, for a lot of it, as well as, is though divorce is as common today as it was in Jesus' day, there is a big difference that today, divorce is a two-way street, right? It sometimes, uh, it could be the, the, the women have much more rights. In Jesus' day, women were treated as property. And so if you took this more liberal view of divorce, you could dismiss your wife for just about anything, okay? And so I want to pull you back to the text that Jesus and the Pharisees are talking about. What they're talking about is Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. And this comes from Moses, um, and uh, this, is actually, this is found um, in the Scripture. So it says, I'm just going to read out verses 1 to 4, where, where Moses says this about divorce. He says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, Because he finds something indecent, I want you to remember that word, indecent, about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, uh, and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes his wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies... Then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to remarry or to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And though we don't have time to unpack this whole passage, what Moses is trying to do here is protect women that women couldn't just get casted off very easily. And that word innocent that we, I told you to remember, that's the word that was debated. What does innocent, or what is, sorry, indecent mean? What does indecent act mean? Um, it can be also in Hebrew, it can be translated as naked. Um, the conservative side, the Shammai side said um, that word meant adultery. And the more liberal progressive side said any other reason. So there's these two things that are going on here in the text. Okay, is, it, are the, is Jesus going to take the conservative side or is he going to take the more progressive side in this text? Also in this passage, it is to note that Jesus is back doing ministry where John the Baptist was teaching and preaching. If you go back to Mark chapter 6, Um, John the Baptist stood up to Herod because Herod fell in love with his sister-in-law. Gross, right? Like, come on, Herod. Isn't there somebody else like Herodias, right? And one of Herodias' wishes was that, that they would bring John the Baptist's head on a platter. So John the Baptist was arrested. He was put into prison, and he was beheaded. And it's also important to know in our passage that the Pharisees, they come and they question Jesus in front of this crowd um, in this territory, and they ask him this, not to find out the truth. They, find, they, they ask this question to Jesus, is it lawful to divorce your wife? Um, and it's to, all, it's to trap Jesus. Maybe they are hoping that the same thing would happen to Jesus as that happened to John the Baptist. So all of that in mind, let's look at today's text. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? 
But what did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Again, they're not looking for truth. They're looking to trap. Jesus says, notice what Jesus says here. He says, what did Moses command? The Pharisees answer, permitted. Deuteronomy 24 was not written as a command of God. It was written as a concession. So when you read the laws of Deuteronomy, they're not commands of God. They're concessions of God. They all start with the if. If this happens, if that happens, if this situation occurs, then do this. This is not a command of God. But Jesus, I love the way he always sticks it to the Pharisees, right? Are you ready, you bunch of religious leaders? He says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus replied, your hearts were so hard. Jesus addresses the Pharisees, but the word your covers uh, past, present, and future. That Yes, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, your hearts were were so hardened. He compares their hearts to that of Pharaoh. If you remember the story of Pharaoh in Egypt, his heart was continually hard. And it got me thinking about this, what Jesus says here, because there is a lot that a marriage can overcome. Um, Esther and I, we have seen uh, marriages where they have lost a child and yet they've worked through that pain. We have seen marriages go through a great tragedy, and yet they still find a way to work things out. We have seen uh, marriages where they experience uh, either physical or emotional infidelity, and yet there's forgiveness. There can be reconciliation that, that people can work things out. The only thing that cannot be mended is a hard heart, a closed off heart, a heart that is closed to God, it's closed to other people. There is no opportunity for forgiveness. There's no opportunity for reconciliation. A stubborn heart will kill a marriage. But think about that in your relationships. Think about that in your relationships maybe with family, with friends. Think about that relationship with your spouse, with um, uh, with maybe a church that you had in the past or whatever, right? The only thing that can really break a relationship is a stubborn, unforgiving heart, a closed-off heart to God and their spouse. That's the only thing that can kill a relationship. But Jesus, he, what he does is he doesn't want to just talk about what Moses said, but Jesus wanted to go back with what's called creator's intent. This is the creator's plan. And if you ever want to know what, how God actually designed things, what you need to do is you need to go back to the Genesis 2 before Genesis 3 enters, and you need to examine what was the intentions of the creator. So Jesus says this in Genesis 2. This is before the fall. Or, sorry, God's the, God says this. He says, but at the beginning... Of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So, man, woman 
one life, two lives coming to make one new entity. If you were here for our sermon series on Hosea, uh, I took a Ken doll and a Barbie doll and I super glued them together and to represent um, our marriage of two lives coming to one. Um, This also represents a marriage is the the biblical picture of our relationship with God, that God always relates to his, his people as that like we are his bride. And um, every, in, in the Bible, in, in the past, that, that when Israel uh, had false gods or they worshipped other gods, it was like as they committed adultery on God. So what happens when you pull uh, Ken and Barbie off each other? Right, Barbie's hair gets ripped out of her head and it ends up on Ken and there's bits of... Uh, 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 Ken's stuff on Barbie. I don't know what Ken looks like. Ken's got the plastic hair, right? Doesn't he have the plastic hair? He's got no hair to rip out. Poor Ken. He needs real hair, right? But it's two lives becoming one. This shows what our creator's intent is. God's ideal for marriage is a covenant promise between each other. If you look at Matthew's version of this passage, Matthew does include Jesus's words of an exception. Um, This is what it says in Matthew 19, verse 9. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So Matthew's uh, version of this story um, allows uh, permission for divorce when there's sexual immorality. Um, But Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus does not give us uh, any kind of uh, permission. Jesus gave this as a public answer, but then he he takes his disciples privately uh, and he uh, talks to them uh, kind of one-on-one on on 12. Uh, He says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Adultery, And the reason why I don't think Jesus wants to um, say you can do it for this or you can do it for that or you can do it for this or you can do that, that, I don't think Jesus wants us to go into our marriages, well, if this happens, then I'm going to leave that person. Or if that happens, that he wants us to be in the clear mind that when we get married, it is intended for life. Now, Note that we are looking at Mark chapter 10. This is not a full biblical view of marriage and permission for divorce. If you go to actually 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's letter explains other reasons for divorce. But I think the reason why Jesus doesn't here is that he doesn't want to leave that door open for any excuse or any reason why. He wants our marriages to work. Marriage to Jesus is a covenant promise, not a contract. We live in a world that is full of contracts. If you want the iPhone 14, is that what we're on? I'm a Samsung person, sorry, not sorry. But if you want a new iPhone or the latest thing, you leave AT&T and you go to Verizon Wireless, right? And you can figure out how to get out of that contract. Contracts tend to have if clauses in them. I'm in this marriage as long as it makes me happy. 
I'm in this marriage as long as you can provide. I'm in for this marriage as long as my sexual desires are being met. All is good in our marriage unless there's, until there is a breach of the contract. Contract marriages tend to be based on consumer-driven mindsets and fair-weather fans. But a covenant relationship is a binding promise with no end. It's an oath with obligations and commitments. I can remember our wedding day, and I can remember the weight, just the, the weight of the, and it's not necessarily, it's not a bad thing, but I remember the weight of my commitment and my vows. And we said, till death us do part. We said it the old English way, instead of death do us part, That's which I had to make sure I memorized so I didn't um, mess it up in front of all my friends, family, and church. But we said, till death us do part. We gave those words, and I can remember like, okay, I guess it's happening. Like, that's, that's, that's it. We gave those words, I can remember, not only to each other, but we gave it in, to God, and we gave it into, in front of our church and our friends and family. But the reality is that, is that you can still be in a married relationship and, and not be thriving in your marriage. You can have distance between you. A marriage can grow to become like roommates, where you're just kind of there together, but you're not really like, you're not thriving in your marriage. Um, there are marriages where you can actually hate one another, that you can live underneath the same household and have contempt for each other. And then there are other marriages where you can be in complete self-denial. Like, oh, let's sweep it underneath the rug. Everything is okay. Let's just pretend like, it, like nothing's wrong, and let's just continue to go on with the marriage. You can live underneath the same household, but doesn't mean that you're thriving in our marriages. And I just wanted to say as well today is that there is, we, we have, divorce touches us very closely, and it's a, such a difficult topic, and there is only grace, and each marriage is so unique and so uh, different, and there's just no, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The Genesis 2 is God's ideal, but obviously we live in a world where Genesis 3 is the reality. There's sin, there's brokenness, there's complications, and there might be some there might be some reasons, and it's why with so each person's uh, circumstance is so unique that divorce might be the only way um, to move forward in your life. But it's not, it's not God's ideal. It's not the way God created things. But obviously we know we live in a, in a, um, in a sinful, uh, broken world. But the good news is that through the cross, Jesus offers us forgiveness he offers us renewal, and he offers us the beautiful thing of reconciliation. And so whether you're here today and whether you're single, you're married, you're divorced, maybe you're widowed, maybe you're single, God calls you to be faithful in your relationships. Marriage is not the only way to find a purpose, joy, happiness in your life. 
The kingdom of God is so much more than that. In fact, if you look at the person of Jesus, Jesus never got married. Jesus never had sexual relations. And yet Jesus lived the most full life. Jesus is our example of how we are to live our lives. God's highest will for our lives is faithful, faithfulness. To love sacrificially, not just sexually. And as a culture, I think we have to move past just the passion and work on commitment. Commitment in our world today is almost like a swear word amongst people under the age of 50. God offers us a covenant relationship like that one of a marriage. Marriage, again, is this biblical picture of God and his people, two becoming one flesh. I love the picture that that the Apostle Paul gives us, that we are in Christ Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul says that his spirit is in us, that we get to experience the closest intimate relationship there is possible with our God. And nothing can separate that except for our hard hearts. God offers us us, this covenant relationship. God calls us not to be passionate, but to have companionship. Companionship, what it is, it is a long obedience consistently in the same direction. So my question for us today is, is your relationship to God a covenant or is it a contract? Is it all about consuming or is it all about giving? Are you a fair weather fan or are you a fair weather fan or are you committed to being with Jesus Christ? Are you looking for if clauses or a, a deep relationship with a promise that cannot be broken? As followers of Jesus in a post-Christian context. We have to move past just the infatuation, the passion, the pleasure, and we have to move into a faithful people. The typical marriage, um, the infatuation stage lasts anywhere from probably six months to two years. Um, And then that's a common time for people to get divorced. And then seven years is also another common time to divorce. I think seven years is the reality when you find out in a marriage that you're not going to change the other person that you've got who you got and you've got to learn to love and accept the person in front of you, to love, serve, and obey and to cherish the person in front of you. Are you going to be a passionate or are you going to be a faithful people? Faithful to God, faithful in our marriages, faithful to our church and faithful to his mission. God calls us to focus on companionship with sacrificial love. Not one seeking our own wants and pleasures and needs, but one that reflects the cross of Jesus. I'm going to invite the band up at this time to lead us in our last song. Please stand. You know, each one of us comes to this from a different background, a different, we've all had different things going on in our lives and in our history. And I just wanted to say God loves you so much. 
He forgives you. And in him, he wants to give you a new chapter, a new beginning, a fresh start. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, Lord, we pray that, Lord, that you would help us to be a faithful and committed people. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to be faithful, committed, devoted followers of Jesus. Lord, help us not to look, out, look at what we can get out of relationships, but Lord, help us to look at where we can give, where we can serve, where we can get down and wash people's feet like Jesus. Lord, help for us to be as faithful as the faithful one. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that this message helps you to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Connect with us at classiccitychurch.org.